Thank you, Sam and Ariel and Eddie, for leading us today. Appreciate it so much. Uh, next Sunday is our last Sunday at the Arboretum. That's kind of sad, right? But it's been an awesome time. Uh, so that's an exciting announcement that we have uh, about moving back into the varsity. Uh, so uh, November 21st will be our first Sunday back in the varsity theater. And so next Sunday, we'll be here for the last time. And then we're going to have two Sundays, uh, November 7th, November 14th. We will be online again. And that'll give us uh, a little bit of space for a couple of different things. Uh, number one, it gives our volunteers a break. Uh, gives everybody a chance to take a breather before we go back into the varsity. Um, and that's a volunteer-heavy uh place for us to be right a lot of a lot of work and a lot of load that has to get carried there uh, so we're going to give all volunteers a, a couple of uh, weeks break there um, also it gives us a chance to test out some of the live stream uh, opportunities that that we need and and to test that out in the theater uh, so that gives us two weeks there to get ready for the 21st of being back in the varsity theater so that'll be our first time meeting in that place together. Some of you have not been back in that building since March 2020. Uh, some of you have never been there because you've become a part of the church uh, during this time when we've been meeting outside or even when we were meeting online. Uh, so I just ask you to be praying for us in that. Uh, pray for uh, wisdom and guidance as we're moving into that. Pray for us to ask the right questions. Uh, as we're moving into that and then for God to give us the wisdom and guidance to come up with the right answers to the right questions. Um, and for those of you who have questions about that and thoughts about safety and what precautions we're taking with that, uh, we're going to be sending out more messaging about it, uh, but we're very open to talk to you if you have any questions about that. Obviously, we'll be putting safety precautions um, right out front as we're working through all of that together. Uh, so be praying for us. And next week, let's be here together and let's enjoy this time uh, one more time in the most beautiful cathedral in all of Chapel Hill. OK, so really grateful for the way this has worked out for us and how, how beautiful uh, this space has been for us. All right. We're going to dive into the message now. Um, and right at the beginning here. Uh, we're going to pause and pray and ask the Lord to give us uh, direction and for him to speak clearly to us as we move into this time. Jesus, this is your word. You are the word made flesh. You invited us to follow you and to be shaped by who you are to be rescued, to be redeemed, and then to be transformed by the power of your grace and mercy and love, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. As we move into this message today, we're asking you to speak and to be clear in places where we're even struggling with the right words. We're asking for you to enable us to hear even though we have so many other things going on in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls. We're asking for you to enable us to open ourselves up. Even though for good reason. 
we have so many barriers built up around us. We're asking you to show yourself to us today through the beauty of your creation, through the sounds of our kids playing, through the sounds of people from our community around us. Help us to see you in everything. Help us to experience you today in a way that is fresh and in a way that breaks through. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So right up front today, I'm going to give you the whole sermon in one sentence. All right. And then if you need to zone out, you're free to do so. Okay. <laughs> Got some emails to catch up on. You're good. All right. Sermon in a sentence. Three word thesis statement. Here it is. All right. Read the Psalms. That's it. You can go home. All right. Read the Psalms. That's where we're going today. Uh, we're talking about prayer today. Uh, we're in this series where uh, we're exploring what it looks like to build a monastery, right? We know that a monastery is a place of deep communion with God. We often think about that as an isolated place away uh, from the community. But what we're talking about is building this internal monastery within, this place within us of deep communion with God so that we become these mobile monasteries, that everywhere we go, we're moving in step with the Spirit. We're being shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit. And even as we're engaging with the community around us, we're taking that peace. We're taking that non-anxious presence of the Holy Spirit within us. We're taking that formed presence, transformed by the Holy Spirit everywhere we go. And we're talking about in terms of a monastery and using these four walls to build a monastery. We mean walls in a positive sense. As we, I talked with a friend last week, that can obviously have negative connotations to it, right? Of building a wall. But we're talking about building this structure all right. That's a protective kind of structure, but this this place to dwell, this place to live. And so we're talking about these four walls to form this internal monastery of scripture, prayer, mission, community. And today we're focusing in on prayer. OK, so we're going to be talking about prayer today. Um, over the last several years, uh, we put a serious focus on prayer as a church uh, as we were celebrating our 10th anniversary two years ago. We felt like the Holy Spirit was pressing us to become a people of prayer, to move more seriously into that, to become more aware and more awake to that calling. And so we began to press into that back in 2019. That was in the fall of 2019. Uh, who knew that 2020 was going to be a year in which we would need so much prayer, right? And so we're grateful that the Holy Spirit started to form that in us. In fact, we marked the turn of 2020. Many of us were in a prayer room together. That's how we went from 2019 into 2020 on New Year's Eve. We prayed 2020 in. We're not going to take the blame for everything that happened with that. All right. But we were preparing ourselves and we sit, we sensed the Holy Spirit moving us into that. And we're so grateful. How could we have made it through together? 
How could we have navigated all of that together without his leading, without his guiding, without his grace leading us? And so over 2019 and 2020, uh, we explored through scripture uh, some of the key prayers of the Old Testament. We talked about what it looked like for Jacob to wrestle with God through the night. Um, we talked about Hagar and her crying out for God to see her in that moment of desperation. She becomes the first person in scripture to give God a name. This person who was outside of the Jewish community, this person who was seen as an outcast in every way, but she becomes the first person to give God a name, the God who sees me, she calls him. So as we move through those key Old Testament prayers, then we explored the prayers of the Apostle Paul throughout his letters. And we dove into those and allowed those to shape us in what in our understanding and in our practice of praying together. And of course, we looked at the prayers of Jesus in the Gospels, walking in that Jesus school of prayer through the Lord's Prayer, uh, but also his prayer in John chapter 17, this powerful prayer that he prays over the believers and over the church. And it was that prayer that actually led us into that time when, when COVID hit, when we moved from meeting in the varsity into beginning to meet online. It was studying that prayer of Jesus that carried us into that time. We're a church that, that the spirit has been shaping in prayer and we still have so far to go, but we've been exploring that together. And so in all of those ways that we have explored and defined and practiced prayer together. Uh, today, we're taking a bit of a shift. And um, as we talk about prayer today, and as we dive into this today, the challenge is, like I said at the very beginning, it's very simple. The challenge we're going to lead into is learning what it means to pray through the Psalms and allowing the Psalms to pray for us. The Psalms persist as this profound school of prayer that Christians throughout the centuries and, and, and Jewish followers before that were so shaped by the prayers that we find through the Psalms. They are, they are songs that can be sung. They are poems uh, in their structure. And so often we found that it's the songwriters and the poets who say things for us that we can't say for ourselves, right? Anybody ever been in one of those moments where it's like you hear this song and you're like, that's it. That's what I've been feeling. And then you keep that song on repeat forever. Okay. I grew up in the time of like when you would try to record a song off the radio on a cassette tape. Anybody else? Yes. Come on. And I remember it was Fields of Gold by Sting. I'm like, I feel that deeply. Probably just got broken up with by a girl. And I'm like, that's my song. <laughs> and so you have to rewind to the beginning to listen to it on repeat, right? <laughs> and then at the beginning, it's got the DJ from the radio talking over the beginning. So sad. All right. Anyway. But we've all had that experience of where a poet or a songwriter captures something for us. And we're like, that's it. That's it. That's what my heart is feeling. That's what my mind is trying to say. But I couldn't find the words for it. The poets do that for us when we talk about prayer as well. There's a poet from 400 years ago, George Herbert, 
who phrases it this way. He calls this beautiful poem. He calls prayer the church's banquet. The soul in paraphrase. The heart in pilgrimage. Reversed thunder. Sit with that one for a little bit. The prayer as reversed thunder. It's beautiful and it's powerful. And some of us have experienced that beauty in prayer, that poetry in prayer, and our hearts align with that kind of language. Yes, absolutely. I've experienced that. But others of us maybe experience more what Thomas Merton said. Here's how he put it into words. He said, prayer and love are really learned in the hour when prayer becomes impossible and your heart turns to stone. Anybody ever felt that way? When people are talking about the beauty and the power and the poetry of prayer and you think, no, for me, prayer is impossible. And they're talking about love and you think, but my heart is stone. And it can't be moved to do that right now. One of the songs that I've had repeat on repeat over the past week uh, is from a songwriter named John Guerra. And he says this, I lift my eyes up to the hills to where I heard you would be coming from. That's a direct reference to one of the Psalms, Psalm 121. I lift my, my, or Psalm 21, I lift my eyes up to the hills. And he says, I know it's dark, but I'm here still. It feels like I'm the one you're hiding from. It feels like I'm the one you're hiding from. Anybody ever felt that way in prayer before? One of my favorite Old Testament scholars and a professor of mine, her name is Sandy Richter. She says this, channeling the fourth century theologian Athanasius. She says this, the Psalms have a unique place in scripture. While all of scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. The Psalms speak for us. For us, And if those words of I feel like I'm the one you're hiding from, if that kind of poetry connects to you and how you feel about prayer, then the Psalms have something to say to you. The Psalms can speak for you as you read through this collection of poetry. You will see that so many people before us have gone through that same kind of experience. They actually are able to hold up a light to our path, a lantern for our feet as we walk through the reality of dark nights of the soul that many of us are going through now or have been through before. And we find traveling companions as we read through the Psalms and the poets who have experienced the same kind of thing. So that's my challenge to us is we're going to read through the Psalms. Uh, We're going to keep unpacking this a little bit more and and what the Psalms have to say to us and why Uh, I'm challenging us to lean into the Psalms. But what we're going to do at the end today is I'm going to challenge us all. uh, If you're in that place, to commit over the next 150 plus days to read one psalm a day. I say 150 plus because there's one psalm, Psalm 119 is the longest out of all of them. You're probably going to want to break that up over a couple of days. All right. When you get there, you'll you'll understand. All right. 
but I'm going to challenge us to enter into that. Some of us are in the place where we're ready to do that. Others, you're, you're even right now, you're thinking, that's not, that's not me right now. I'm not in that place right now. And that's okay. If that's you, I challenge you to take, take this thought, put it away somewhere in your heart, mind, and soul, and ask the Holy Spirit to bring it back to you when the time comes for you to do that. Pastor Allison is back today with Sienna. So glad you're back. I'm calling her out because a couple of years ago we talked about this. And this is something that you challenged me towards. Praying through the Psalms. And so we're going to do that as a church family together. Uh, so why? All right. Uh, because if we want to learn how to pray, and we're talking about those four walls, right? We're talking about scripture, prayer, mission, and community. But the thing about scripture is that it informs all the rest of them, okay? And so as we're learning to pray, the best school of prayer for us to lean into is scripture itself. Scripture will teach us how to pray. Obviously, as we look through the life of Jesus, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, in a bit. But again, the Psalms persist as this profound school of prayer. Uh, 150 curated, collected poems that teach us what it looks like to pray. Uh, almost half of those uh, are attributed to King David. Uh, repeatedly in, in more than 70 of the Psalms, it'll refer to it as a Psalm of David. That could mean that it's a psalm about David or a psalm written to David. Uh, but most people land that it's written by David. All right. Coming from King David uh, associated with him. Uh, as you move through the Psalms, you're going to realize that it's structured in this way. It's structured in five different books. All right. Divided up in five different books. And to those uh, who are steeped in and rooted in the story of Israel and the ancient scriptures of Israel, this automatically raises a flag in their minds when they see something built on five books. Uh, what other part of the Old Testament uh, is made up of five books? Anybody remember? All right, the Pentateuch, exactly. The Torah, the books of Moses. Okay. The first five books, uh, often referred to as the law, but the Torah, the, the books of Moses. And so when they hear, when they see that this collection of poems for the people of God, uh, leading them in worship, teaching them how to pray, how to engage in God with worship. When they see that it's outlined in this way with five books, immediately they make that connection. There's also a connection forward uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew intentionally records five different teaching discourses from Jesus. And that's intended to mirror the structure of the Psalms and also to mirror the Torah, the books of Moses. Uh, as you move through the Psalms, you're going to see two expressions mainly uh, that, that most of the Psalms can be broken down in, into one of two expressions. Number one, and this would make sense, you would, you would probably guess this. Uh, number one is praise. And so these are, are poems and songs that are, that are lifting God up, that are pointing to the glory and the goodness of God, uh, and that are talking about who He is and all of the great things that He has done. But the second kind of of Psalm might surprise you. 
a little bit. And so if the first is praise, then the second is lament. Lament. And all throughout this collection of poems, you will find psalms that are not singing worship to God, but crying out to God. Crying out to God, asking for hope. Pleading for wisdom. Even hurling their anger at God. You will find that all the way through. And so almost all of the Psalms can break down into one of these two types, either praise or lament. And the Psalms teach us that both of those have a place to belong within our lives of prayer. And if you're angry towards God, and if you're struggling with God, he invites you to express that to him through prayer. Those are the two expressions, praise and lament. There are also two main themes, um, the Torah and the Messiah. And so in the Torah, there's this sense of looking back on this gift that God has given to his people, the wisdom of his word. You see that reflected right in the very first Psalm in Psalm one, where it talks about being rooted like a tree by streams of water, bearing fruit in season whose leaves never wither. And it's this sense of being rooted in the wisdom of the word of God. But the second theme of Messiah is this looking forward to that gift that is to come, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, to Moses and to David, that he would send this king who would rescue the people. And so many of the Psalms are dedicated towards that theme. And it's interesting uh, that the Torah theme is found in Psalm one, the Messiah theme is found in Psalm two. And right there from the very beginning, these two Psalms serve as an introduction to the rest of the book. And you're going to see those same themes play out over and over and over again. For the people of Israel, this was not just a song book, but a prayer book. And it shaped who they were. It shaped their souls. It shaped their hearts. It shaped the way that they understood the world around them. And part of the beauty of what you will find in this book is you will find permission to express whatever is going on in your mind and heart and soul. And you will hear God saying back to you, there is a place for that too. There is a place for that too. The Psalms express in brutal and raw honesty, the full range of human emotion and human experience. You see the peaks of joy, all the way down to the depths of despair, expressions of sorrow and grief, and then expressions of grounded trust and brave faith, of exile and of deliverance, anxiety, depression, fear, loneliness, abandonment, anger, hurled at enemies, at friends, and even at God himself. And then you also find expressions of intimacy and a celebration of God's character, worship for God's glory, unshakable hope and uncontainable love and everything you can imagine in between. And God is saying it all has a place and he's inviting it all in. A couple of summers ago, two summers ago, uh, 
for our summer Bible study, we went through the Psalms. Some of y'all were a part of that. And um, one of the things that I loved about that experience was we had different people lead every week. And so it wasn't just one leader who was teaching all of the time, but it was a, a shared leadership and people chose a Psalm to lead through. And it was a beautiful experience. And it showed the diversity of experience and of human experience. Um, and it was beautiful as people found that connection to a psalm that was personal for them and the way that it spoke into their lives. And I think you're going to have that experience, too, if you will take this challenge and read through this book and allow it to shape you and teach you, walk you through this school of prayer. Jesus himself was clearly shaped by this book. Jesus was clearly shaped by the book of Psalms. Obviously, we believe that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is fully human and fully God. And in the reality that he's fully God, Jesus is the eternal word. So he shapes the writing of this book. And in the reality that he's fully human, as he's raised up in that Jewish culture and as he's taught in Judaism, this book also shapes him. And he learns the prayers of this book as he's being raised up in wisdom and stature, as it tells us in the Gospels. And you can hear it all over the place as Jesus moves through his life and through his teachings. Uh, often, he refers back to the Psalms to give us insight into his mission and into his identity. And in fact, surprisingly, to me, it's, it's pretty surprising. The Psalms uh, is the most quoted book by Jesus in all of the Gospels. You would think it would be uh, one of the books of Moses. And either thinking back about the Genesis story or thinking about God leading his people through the exodus out of slavery in Egypt into the hope of the promised land. Maybe uh, from one of the, the books that tells the stories of King David. But more than any other book, Jesus quotes the Psalms. He was clearly shaped by this and he wants us to be shaped by this book too. But it's not just Jesus in the New Testament who quotes the Psalms the most. As a whole, the Psalms is the most quoted book through, across all of the New Testament authors put together. The Psalms is the most quoted book. You can see ways in which the Lord's Prayer was even shaped by the Psalms. If you look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and you look at how it's laid out with these lines that look like poetry, these stanzas that move you through bit by bit and teach you what it means to pray. It looks like a psalm. And you can see how Jesus was shaped by that and how he's trying to shape us by that too. One of the symbols that he comes back to over and over again to describe himself and his mission and his ministry is this beauty, uh, this beautiful image of the shepherd. And a couple of weeks ago, Justin walked us through in an incredible way through Psalm 23, probably the most famous psalm of them all, the psalm of the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And so every time Jesus references this image of a shepherd to talk about his identity and his mission, that is going to come back to mind for his people. 
and perhaps the most powerful way in which Jesus references the Psalms and quotes the Psalms is that Jesus chooses to quote a Psalm among his very last breaths. As Jesus is being crucified on the cross, going through the agony of that crucifixion, sacrificing his life for us. In his agony, he cries out with these words among his last words ever breathed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a shaking statement to hear the son of God make, to hear this person make that we just said, we believe he's fully human and fully God. But when Jesus is doing that, he's not only talking about the agony and the pain that he is going through, but he's grabbing a hold of this experience of being shaped by the Psalms. And he's grabbing a hold of this line from the beginning of Psalm 22. And I'm going to read that for us. And you're going to be blown away at the connections that you see here between Jesus's experience in this crucifixion and the way it opens up this whole picture for us. Here's what Jesus has to say in Psalm or yeah, what Jesus has to say through David in Psalm 22. And then what David has to say through Jesus in the crucifixion moment as Jesus quotes this song, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's first one direct quote. This is exactly what Jesus says. And there's no question among scholars that Jesus is obviously referencing this psalm. Remember how we said when you don't have the words for it, you reach for the words of the poets. This is what Jesus is doing in the moment of his agony and of his crucifixion. He's grabbing a hold of this from the depth of his soul. But he's also pointing us to this to help make this whole picture make sense. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by people, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. This is exactly what is playing out right in front of all of the people who are witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus. All of this is happening, even though this psalm is written hundreds of years before. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. That's, that's what they said to Jesus on the cross, skipping down. Do not be far from me for trouble is near. There is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions, lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water 
All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Incredible. Crucifixion is even invented at this point in history in which David is writing Psalm 22. And here it is playing out. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That's what the gospel writers describe happening at the crucifixion of Jesus. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me. I will declare your name. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. It goes on. Until the end, it says they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn for he has done it for he has done it. And many biblical scholars think that it's not just the first line of Psalm 22 that Jesus is quoting when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it's also the last line of Psalm 22 that Jesus is quoting when he says it is finished for he has done it for he has done it the psalms are an invitation into prayer in this psalm right here we see both praise and lament at the same time and we're invited into that kind of life this is the reality of the psalms and we're invited into that. I'm not going to get to Psalm 139 today. I'm sorry. I know that's the one that's that's on the website. That's where we were planning to go. Uh, but we got going and we ain't got time for that. All right. You're welcome. But the reality of this presence of lament and praise at the same time. This is the reality of prayer. And this is what we are invited into. And they both belong. They both have a place. And in fact, it's in both of those colliding on the cross, as Jesus is quoting this on the cross, that we see the fullness of our salvation begin to unfold in front of us. As Jesus was on the cross, his disciples saw fulfilled what he had told them at the table in his last meal with them. When he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken to make you whole. Do you hear that? Lament and praise together in the same space in the body of Jesus broken lament to make you whole praise and as they pierced his hands and feet like Jesus points us to in Psalm 22 
as that is happening to him in the midst of the crucifixion. It calls back to what he said to his disciples in that last meal with them when he took the cup. And he said, this represents my blood. This is my blood poured out for the salvation of the world. Do you hear that? My blood poured out lament for the salvation of the world. Praise both alive in the same place. And that's the reality of our salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus invites us to his table to share in this meal, to remember and to embody what he did for us. In just a moment, we're going to invite you to come forward as you take a piece of the bread. This is the body of Christ, broken lament for your salvation praise and then you take the cup and as you share in it this is the blood of christ poured out lament for your salvation praise you're invited to live in that reality through the death of jesus come and share in the grace of jesus today amen